you probably have never been on a battleship. Maybe you have. I've never never have. But whether we've actually been on one or not, we've probably read enough uh, war novels or seen enough war movies to recognize that phrase, all hands on deck. When that call goes out, it means that there is some urgent need. Something is happening, some threat, some crisis, maybe some opportunity that needs immediate attention, requires everybody coming together, and so that order is placed out there. When you hear the words, all hands on deck, it means that whatever you're doing routinely, you stop it, you put it down, you report for duty, and you wait for your orders. It's that sense of urgency, as I was thinking about that, that led me to decide to to use that phrase, that slogan, as the theme of our annual giving, serving, slash stewardship campaign that we're embarking on today. And I think it's it's significant because when you think about it, a battleship is a great image for the church. Now, you'll notice on your outline that image of a battleship. Uh, the, The church is not a cruise ship. A cruise ship exists for the luxury and pleasure of its passengers. That's not a very good metaphor for the church. We're a battleship. A battleship has a mission. A battleship has troops on board to carry out that mission. We're kind of like a battleship. We have a mission. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. We as members are the troops on that battleship. The battle we are waging is the battle for the soul of our nation and our world and our immediate community. And to be quite honest, the reality is that battle has never been more urgent than now. You probably don't have to have me tell you that fewer and fewer uh, people in our even community, much less the nation. Fewer and fewer people are seeing the value of even having any relationship with God's church. No need to worship God. No need to have a spiritual interest at all. We in America are likely, if things don't turn around, going to lose an entire generation called the Millennials who as a body, that group is the least interested in religious faith in any generation in American history. And the vast majority of them have no desire, no interest whatsoever in knowing anything about the church, much less being a part of its life. The time for the church to step up and be the body of Christ has come. Time for church as usual has ended. The need is urgent. It's time for us as believers to heed the call, all hands on deck, and to report for duty and listen for our captain's orders. And my hope is that we'll heed those orders. Now those orders that are going to come from Christ call us to service in what we might describe as one of four ships 
of the church. We're going to carry out this theme of ships. A church is functioning. A church is surging in the battlefield. A a church is winning souls for Christ, is accomplishing its mission when all four of these ships are fully operational. What are they? There's worship. There's fellowship. There's discipleship. And there's stewardship. Each of the next four Sundays, we're going to take one of those ships and discover what it means to be fully engaged, all hands on deck. This morning, we're going to focus on worship. It's not an exaggeration to say that nothing, nothing we do as a church is more important, or I would say even as important, as worship. Worship is the lifeblood of the church. Everything else that we do in ministry flows from worship and is fed and sustained by worship. And we gain tremendous insight in what worship is supposed to look like and feel like and be in the passage that I've selected this morning, Psalm 100. And we're going to read it in just a moment, but before we read that, I wanted us to have some understanding of how this passage would have originally been offered up. Basically, what we have here are two hymns. Verses 1 through 3 is one hymn. Verses 5 through 6 is another hymn. As people would make their way into the temple for worship, there would be a choir outside of the temple. The choir would be encouraging the worshipers as they enter. And the choir would basically be singing verses 1 through 3. Shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with celebration. And then, once the worshipers got into the temple courtyard, there would be another choir, just either outside or inside the gate, and they would be singing verses 4 through 5. Enter his gates with thanks. Enter his courtyards with praise. And then the worshipers would go into the temple. And so what I want to do this morning is uh, to kind of mimic how this would have originally been done. Now, we haven't we have numbered these verses, so, uh, well, first of all, let me make the assignments. This group over here and that half of the balcony and you all, all of the, these folks over here, you are choir number one, okay? You folks over here, you're choir number two. Now, if you look at the scripture, the fourth line down, the sheep of his own pasture, that concludes verse 3. So, choir number 1, you're going to call folks into worship by reading up to that point. Then, choir number 2, you're going to pick up where it says, enter his gates with thanks. What about you guys in the middle? You are our worshipers. Would you stand? You folks in the middle. All right. Are you ready to worship? All right, well, to help you out, to motivate you, to encourage you for what that's all about, our choirs have a message for you. Choir number one and choir number two, essentially everybody, let's stand. All right, those of you who are in the choirs, turn and face the worshipers. Face our worshipers, all right? Now, Choir number one, we're going to have you shout, proclaim this first part, verse one through three. Now, you will notice 
every one of these sentences ends with an exclamation mark. An exclamation mark means that you just don't casually speak this routinely or mundanely. You say it with passion. You say it with feeling. Okay? So, here they come. Here come the worshipers. Choir number one. Shout triumphantly. Choir number two. Thank you. Now enter into the worship of God. Thank you. You may be seated. You guys did that really, really well. I had to get on to the folks at 8.30. They were just kind of half asleep, so they had, they had to do it twice. You, you did it really, really good. All right, in this passage, there, there's several things that point out to what worship is. But before, And I want to get to that, but before we get to that, there's two quick things I want to say. Number one, those of us up here on the platform, it's our responsibility to plan worship. It's our responsibility to plan Music that's uplifting, that's that's inspiring. It's my responsibility and the other pastors as as preachers to uh, adequately prepare messages that convey God's word and that present God's word in a, in a in a fashion that's relevant and timely and and that we can all grab hold of. That's our responsibility, and we'll do our very best at that. But here's the second thing I want to say: whether or not worship actually happens is entirely up to you individually. You see, we will provide components of worship. Whether or not worship happens is entirely up to you. You see, some of us, when this worship service is over, will have worshipped God. Some of us will have sat through a worship service. There is a big difference. So how are we going to know if we've worshipped? What are the components of what worship of God is intended to have? Well, this passage is just full of, of meaning and insight. First of all, we know we have worshipped when we have offered heartfelt offering of praise and adoration and gratitude to God. Heartfelt offering of praise and adoration and gratitude to God. Look, look at the words that we read in verses 1 through 3. Shout for joy. Celebration. Give thanks. Offer praise. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. In other words, these are not stagnant, stale, lifeless words. These are not stuffy, mundane admonitions. These statements ooze with passion and feeling about God and for God. Worship is heartfelt praise and thanks and adoration to God. And that's why not once but twice this passage instructs us 
to shout. Shout triumphantly to the Lord. Come before him with shouts of joy. Shout here means exuberance. It means passion. It means energy. Oh, how I wish we could learn to shout in worship. To bring into this place greater levels of praise and joy and celebration into the worship experience. How I wish we felt the freedom to come before God with shouts of joy. Too often, the church is guilty of planning worship that seems to exclude any expressions or passionate experiences of joy rather than encouraging it. We sing music sometimes more appropriate for a funeral service than a triumphant celebration before God. We sing hymns whose words speak of joy, and yet you would never know it by the facial expression of the ones who are singing the words. Maybe, you know, maybe we are too proper as Methodists to literally shout for joy. I suspect that if uh, I told all of you that starting next week, uh, we were going to start shouting in worship. I suspect that that would not be well received. And I get that. I understand that. But can we at least show joy? Can we sing to the top of our lungs the hymns when we sing them because we're thinking about what the words convey and we cannot help but shout, sing to the top of our lungs. Can we pray with fervor as though what we're praying matters? When we recite our, our creeds, can we speak our creeds with conviction and with power? Can we show any kind of passion, any sense of celebration as we bring come into the house of God? In other words, you know, I thought about this earlier. When you think about it, we are called, even us, even here, we are called to shout for joy. And every Sunday we're given opportunities to do it. We just don't take advantage of it. Think about our creeds. Just a moment ago, we offered the Apostles' Creed. What is that if not an opportunity to shout? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, we sang a little musical number called the Gloria Patri. Glory to God. Glory to God. Are not those opportunities to shout for joy without feeling weird? That's what those are. Those are opportunities to shout for joy. And yet, so often, you don't know, but I was watching when we did the creed a little while ago, and I was watching when we sang the Glory Patri. There are a few exceptions, but there wasn't a whole lot of joy, at least evident. 
I don't know when or why those who planned worship ever stopped planning opportunities for joy, but we need to find more. Worship is heartfelt praise and adoration. It's a celebration. Several years ago, The Family Feud, that TV show, uh, they, the question that they asked the, the family was, uh, name one place where you get bored. Of 100 responses, the number two answer, thank God we didn't make number one. The second most popular answer, well, name a place you get bored, the church. Are you kidding me? Church needs to be, ought to be, worship ought to be the most energized, joy-filled power pack hour in our week. And the word boredom should have no relevance or application at all when describing a worship service. Heartfelt passion, celebration, shout for joy. Next time you're here in worship, when you see that Apostles' Creed, when you see that Gloria Patri, We've disguised it as such, but it is an allowance to shout. Now, I want you to notice two things about this sentence in number one. It involves a heartfelt offering of praise, adoration, and gratitude to God. Those last two words are important. I want you to circle those, underline those, to God. You see, we need to understand, worship is not about you. Worship is not about you. Matter of fact, in that blank there, go ahead and write, worship is not about me. Worship is about God. It is about God. It is for God. And we truly worship when we get away from that spectator mentality that has convinced us, and the church has to take responsibility of this because we have fostered it over decades. If we're truly going to worship, we have to get away from the spectator mentality that has convinced many of us that the worship service is here for us. We plop down in our pew, and we wouldn't, we don't say it verbally, but in our minds, we say to the choir, okay, choir, sing for me. I'm here. We look at the preacher and we say, all right, I've gone to the trouble to be here. Feed me. Teach me. Give me something to carry me through the week. Sometimes somebody will say, well, I just didn't get anything out of worship today. It'd be rude to say this, but it'd be theologically correct to respond to that person by saying, well, it wasn't for you. Worship is not for you to get something out of. Worship is an opportunity for you to come before Almighty God and offer heartfelt offering of praise and adoration and glory to Him. Here's what you need to understand. 
when you do that, when you see worship as for God and you're offering God praise and adoration and gratitude and all, guess what happens? You're going to get something out of it too. You see, folks, when the choir sings, as they sang so beautifully a moment ago, it's not for your pleasure. It's for God's pleasure. And we just have the benefit and the privilege of sitting in on listening. Worship is about God. Worship is for God. And then secondly, this passage uh, reveals to us that worship, worship happens when we have a mind. It involves a mind focused on knowledge of God. Verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. You see, worship is not an occasion to walk in those doors, check our brains at the door, and then come into the sanctuary and spend an hour caught up in emotional fervor. No. Heartfelt passion has to be joined with a mind that acknowledges the reality of God, that recenters ourselves on God's truth, and a mind as well as a heart that is devoted to knowing and affirming the reality and the presence of God. See, all week our minds are pulled in hundreds of directions. We have a lot to think about. And in the process, our minds can get cluttered, they can get confused, they can, they can get distracted from what is really most important. And worship is an opportunity for a recalibration of our minds to remind us that our life is not defined by what we do out there or what culture tells us, but we are defined by the fact that we are the creations of a heavenly Father who is sovereign, who is Lord. We're His. He is ours. Our life is in His care. And He watches over every aspect of our life. Someone has said it this way, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. So, worship, it's offering heartfelt praise to God. And a mind that acknowledges the truth of God, knowing that God is Lord and none other. For the last 30 years, church in America has been fighting what some have labeled sadly the worship wars. And that war looks like this. What is proper worship? Is it traditional worship? Or is it contemporary worship and we've gone round and round and round on that 
for way too long. The time for that ridiculous, insane, nonsensical war has come to an end. You see, folks, the issue that the church of today has got to realize, the the issue is not style. Are we going to sing hymns or are we going to sing praise songs? Are we going to have a choir or are we going to have a praise band? Are we going to do traditional or are we going to do contemporary? The issue is not style. The issue is passion. The issue is joy. The issue is offering an, an atmosphere of praise and celebration as we come to worship Almighty God. And I don't know when or why church leaders ever stopped planning worship to be filled with these things, but it's time to recapture them now. You see, if this battleship, the church, has any hope, of impacting the world in which we find ourselves? If we have any hope of igniting passion in our own members? If we have any hope of drawing non-believers into our sanctuaries to encounter worship? Worship has to be an occasion for joy and praise and adoration to God. There can't be anything boring or dry or mundane about it. Do it through traditional rituals or do it through contemporary bands, but do it. Do it. Enter his gates with praise. When we and the body of Christ everywhere begins to do that, people will sense that something is happening. There's something worth knowing about this God and this church that they might want to be a part of. One of the ways that we worship celebrate the life that we've been given is through the sacrament of Holy Communion. And we're going to celebrate that now. But as we celebrate it, and as you come in just a moment, whatever you do, don't come here routinely. Don't come here because this is the 185th time that you've done this. Come here because there's something in your heart that has got to give expression to God for how wonderful He is and how much you love Him and how much you care and how much you desire for your life to be in partnership with His. That, folks, that's worship. Let's pray together. Oh God, we pray that worship will always be not what we desire it to be, but what what you desire it to be. It's yours. And help us to approach 
the worship opportunity, regardless of the setting. In the spirit of those early believers that we read about a moment ago, who had heartfelt passion, of praise and adoration for you. God, may that always be the way we see and desire to worship. It's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray. Amen.